Welcome to the Sacred Window Podcast. My name is Christine Devlinek. The Sacred Window refers to the tender, magical, and remarkable weeks following the birth of a baby. A birth giver is forever changed. Recognizing that this time is too often overlooked and misunderstood in our modern culture, we're setting out to be part of a voice for change and growth. We're growing awareness and broadening the reach of conscious postpartum care. Our podcast features friends and colleagues as interviewers. We're a loving community united by a common passion to change the paradigm of postpartum care to one that honors women, birth givers, babies, and families. We're glad you're here. And I will never be the same. This podcast is an interview between myself, Alicia Higgins. I am a mother of two, a home birth mama, a postpartum care provider, a dancer, and a a bodywork and Lomi Lomi practitioner. Um, And I am interviewing Deborah Lewis. Deborah Lewis is from Trinidad which is the Twin Island Republic, which is the southernmost island um, of the Caribbean. And she has been a nurse since 1978 and a midwife since 1984. She's the founder of Mama Toto Birth Center in Trinidad and Tobago, the only birth center. Um, She founded it and continues to work as a midwife through that organization. Since receiving um, a major in maternal child health from Columbia University, she worked in a variety of settings in New York as a public and private practice midwife and affiliated clinical faculty member, as well as doing volunteer work in Africa. She was a founder and past president of the Association of Midwives and is a member of the Nursing Council. She's a founder of the Caribbean Regional Midwives Association and is on the board of the Northwest Regional Health Authority. Debbie was elected as the vice president of the International Confederation of Midwives for three years and is currently co-chair of the ICM Scientific Program Planning Committee. Thank you, Debbie, for speaking with us today. I just have a list of questions here. And I might type some stuff down, but I'm recording it. So I'll just love to listen and um, whatever you have to share. Thank you so much. <laughs> Again, I'm really excited. Okay, so how, how long have you been a midwife? Uh, 37 years. I did my midwifery training in New York and um, have been in Trinidad for 31 years working as a midwife. Right. And that's awesome. Um, so you've served probably quite a few families. I don't know if you have the, the running count of that, but um, like I don't, you know, unfortunately I stopped, like I stopped recording several years. I think when I moved to Trinidad, I, I did it just for a short time and then I stopped. So I don't have a sense. I know it's probably a couple thousand because I mean, the hospital I worked in in New York was pretty busy. Um, and then I worked at a, sort of a birth center here in Trinidad first called Amicus. It was in Diego Martin. Oh. Um, and then we, and then a couple of us got together and we opened uh, Mama Toto, which is where I am now. 
Oh, okay. So you helped open that. Awesome. And then, so Amicus in Dago, that's where my mom grew up. Where, um, I didn't know about that. Is that's not like that. When was that running or when was that a birth center? Like what years were, was that operating? Um, I think they, it opened, it opened in 1990 and then it closed. Um, I don't know, maybe 2010 or so. I think I can't remember exactly, but it closed um, a little bit after we opened here. And we okay. started births here in 2008. So it was sometime around then that they closed. Okay. And um, so have you mainly just uh, worked at Mama Toto or you've, and I guess you've worked in New York at the hospital and with, with birth centers, but do you also do uh, home birth clients or do you also have your private practice as well? Um, I don't anymore. I did. Ha I worked at Amicus and then I had a private home birth practice. But when we opened Mama Toto, I couldn't do both. Um, the, it was five of us that started Mama Toto and three of us were still in active midwifery practice, all doing home births. Mm -hmm. um, so but when we started Mama Toto, we gave up our home birth practice and focused on this because we couldn't do both yeah so since then i've only done mama toto right um awesome and then so i'm interested if you were the well i'm sure you're not the first midwife in your family but that you know of was it kind of something that you grew up with or it was passed on from you know your your family or how did you get into midwifery? I'm just um, curious. No. Um, there's absolutely nobody in my family in midwifery or medicine or nursing or anything at all. Okay. My father was in industrial relations. My mom was a, a housewife and then did some social thing. I don't know. Um, but it was, my mother was a volunteer with the Red Cross. Mm-hmm. Um, and she would go to the hospital to, um, I don't know, volunteer and do whatever she did. And I would go with her as a child. And I saw the nurses. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I think I'd like to do that someday. And when I finally did do nursing, I just fell in love with this field, this area um, of midwifery and decided that this is what I wanted to do. Um, and also to be quite realistic, I thought, I didn't know where I wanted to live. I knew I didn't want to stay in New York. And I thought that it didn't matter where in the world I live, women would be having babies. And so I would always have a job. Yes, and, sure. um, but I really initially, you know, but initially I just really fell in love with the area. Um, I always remember that on my exam, my nursing exam, I got like full score in this area. And they said to me, what, like, what is that? And I said, I don't know. I just love it. Mm. You know? Yeah. And yeah. So then I went on to do midwifery and that was it. Meant to be nice. Okay. Well, I feel maybe <laughs> somewhere down the line, way back where, when you had some, you know, m the mothers and the women were <laughs> helping, you know, to um, birth the baby. So it's, 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 right it's down there somewhere. something yeah there must be something 
Right. It's just that I don't, I'm not aware of, but it must be, it must be somewhere in my DNA or something. <laughs> right. So um, my next question, how popular is home birth or out of hospital birth in Trinidad right now? Or, I mean, I'm sure COVID has made it even less popular or maybe more. I don't know what, what is in general, <laughs> what is your take on home birth? Um, in so it's, and um, there are not a lot of home births happening. Um, we, I think for a couple of things, one is that people are no longer familiar with home births. Um, it was something that used to be more popular many years ago, and then it became very institutionalized. And by and large, people still think you get pregnant, you go to a doctor. Um, and sometimes when I tell people I'm a midwife, they say, really? Midwives still exist? I thought that that was like some old woman in the very rural areas that, you know, were not trained and all of that. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, so and, and in addition to that, I'm going off on a little tangent, but in addition to that, there are a lot of midwives working in our public health care system, but they're not called midwives, they're called nurses. Yeah. So that our our population doesn't identify a midwife with the person who attended them and delivered their baby in the hospital. They call them nurses. Mm -hmm. We've just sort of lost that midwifery. Anyway, so back to the home birth. Um, no, so it great. was it's not really that yeah, it's not really that popular. Um, the most of the home births that are being done are done because the midwifery students have to attend a minimum of three home births each before they can graduate. And so that's really primarily what keeps the home births going in the public healthcare system. And then outside of that, there are a couple of midwives um, that do that work privately and do home births, but not a lot, not a lot. There are not a lot of independent midwives practicing. Yeah. Um, and with COVID, we, we've absolutely had more requests for home births. Um, uh -huh. because people are afraid of going to the hospital yeah. so what we if people call us we refer them to the midwives association because the midwives association has a list of midwives that they refer to mm -hmm. for the home births um, and so we have also had at Mamatoto um, a lot of inquiries as well and, um, and clients who have chosen to come to us you know because they don't want to go to the hospital however we are private and we have a fee. Right, right. Whereas right. the public health care, right, the public health care system is all free, right? There's no cost. So when you're competing with free, um, sometimes people just can't afford or they choose, you know, to go to the hospital still. So our numbers have been maintained. I can't say that they've Maybe they've increased a little, but not significantly. But we definitely have got more inquiries. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people are asking, well, do you have a payment plan? Or, mm -hmm. you know, am I eligible for reduced costs? Because we do have a program where you can, first, a sliding scale program. Um, but it's only so many we can accept a year, you know, where they yeah. pay less. Right. But we do, we have more people asking. 
And and you're familiar with the with the how the healthcare system here works, right? Uh yeah, pretty much. I yeah, for the most part. I did live there for a year, so right. I understand how it works. Yeah. And I had I had my um, my cousin, I guess. I mean, I don't know exactly how she's related to me, but she actually <laughs> as soon as I got to Trinidad, it was the first time I had been there. And um, she, I was at a funeral for her because she uh, was, and she was all in the papers and everything because she just had her second baby and she was at the private hospital. And then they, um, they transferred her to the public hospital and she ended up hemorrhaging or whatever she died. And I was wow. like, yeah. And I was like, oh, I mean, it happens, right? But it was like a huge thing. And I know that I was hearing all like, you know, every now and again, you'd hear those stories. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. gosh, it's just really sad um, and scary. But when I, <laughs> it was really ex like exciting to find for me to find Mama Toto. And then now to know that there's midwives as well, because when we do move back there, and if I were ever to have more kids, you know, <laughs> who knows? I don't really, I mean, it's potential, it's possible. So I, it's nice to know that there's still a, a home birth practice, at least for me, because I've, I've just, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, anyways, sorry, that's a whole, that, that's aside. But anyways, um, so what, well, I guess you kind of are starting to answer this in terms of like the demographic that you pri primarily serve in terms of, you know, socioeconomic status and, you know, whatever, all of the things, age, race and everything that, you know, uh, what do you say yeah. like primarily? Um, yeah. People who have the money, unfortunately, um, access is a thing, it sounds like, but yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, but we like we one of our core beliefs is that um people should not um have to make a decision simply because they can't pay us you know so we really try to work with with families to figure out a way for them to be able to afford it and um sometimes it's just to say free <laughs> if that's what it takes you know um for example, recently we had a client who had had her first two babies with us um, and now her partner, her husband had lost his job um, and she was now pregnant with the third baby and so couldn't afford to pay. And I like there's no way in our heart we could say no, you shared her first two babies with us. So simply because she couldn't pay, you know, so we told her, oh, come on. <laughs> You know, and we oh, it's just like family, split. right? It's like family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we couldn't say no. So we still do. Um, and what happened is that years ago, we actually had funding because we're, we're set up as, an, as a nonprofit. Okay. And so we we're able to access funding. So we did have funding to support pro bono and sliding scale clients, but we no longer have that funding. Mm we do some fundraising but it's not that much and so the numbers that we can do now are more limited you know yeah but we really do try um so yeah. in terms of our demographics um a co i i had done this for a presentation last year so what it looks like is about low 50s african 
um, I think, uh, or 20 something East Indian, and then the rest really a mix. We have quite a number of expats um, because it's people who are more familiar with the midwifery model, mm-hmm. you know, so people who have lived overseas. We've had Australian, British, because they're just more familiar with midwifery care. So we have a real mix. Um, we have um, our, our the age group with the highest, I think, was like 25 to 36 or something like that. Um, we have had as old as 42 um, giving birth who, you know, she came to us because Every time she went for a visit with her obstetrician, she would be told how high risk she is and that she probably would need a C-section and all of that. And her sister had had um, babies with us. And so she came and anyway, to make a long story short, she went on to have a second baby with us, just fine with no complications. So we've had, we, we wouldn't consider age alone um, as a risk. Yeah, you know, there would have to be other things. Yeah, but that's primarily um, a lot. I cannot remember the statistics. I could probably look it up and send it to you if you want. But but I do think um, the majority are in a really a stable relationship. So perhaps not actually legally married, but mm-hmm. so single, but in a, you know, in a committed relationship. Right. And we have had a couple of teenagers because we will, the teenagers for sure are pro bono unless, okay. you know, their families are able and willing to pay for them. Nice. Well, yeah. And I totally understand you guys to be able to, for you to live and to operate yes. and to offer these services, <laughs> you need the money. And right. it's unfortunate that you got that, like, you know, these kind of organizations aren't given more funding and I feel like it definitely should be that way. You know what I mean? Um, but maybe the, maybe the expats and, or the people that might have, you know, more, um, more money can, maybe you can Mm -hmm. increase the price for them so that they might be able to, you know, um, help out. And that's, and we have had, there's been some expats who after they've given birth, they, have um, actually donated like a birth fee, the amount yeah. of a birth fee. That's nice. So that somebody else can have the opportunity, you know. And then we have one couple who every year at Christmas, they give us like a 6,000 nation or so, which covers um, close to half of the of a birth package you know so mm-hmm. we have those and um people who are committed um nice. but in terms of and we're always looking for funding but in the meantime what we do is um, we have donation boxes and a couple of the pharmacies um and we have a, a we're on amazon we we get um i don't know whatever that donation like if you order through our link you know, we get something through there. So we have a couple right. of things that do bring in something, but not not as much as we did previously. With the continued, like, you know, industrialization, like you're saying in Trinidad and like the westernization, how do you think new mothers are supported? So postpartum, like they just given a baby, how are they supported by the culture and the society at large? So that might be through like, 
government support, through their the medical system, through doctors, through or through family, even just how do people treat new mothers in Trinidad? Um, um, yeah, sorry, go finish. You finish. No, I'm just like. Uh, there's more to the question more on like like what like I know there's different there might be different traditions with different families depending on what their background is culturally but are those still followed um, in terms of postpartum traditions that's pretty much it <laughs> okay so I think I, I think that, um, we do not have fr okay let me start with the system so I think that's an area, that postpartum area is an area that we really do not do well in in our traditional healthcare system because um, women are discharged from the, and I'm going to just use the hospitals because that's where the bulk, so I'm not, uh, this does not include our model at all, right? Yeah. Um, so they're discharged, our mean and mama total. Um, right, right. Yes, yeah, so they're discharged from the hospital. They go home with their new babies with no support until they go back to their health center or to their private doctor at six weeks, mm -hmm. right? So the women go away. There's no contact again until they go for their six-week visit. Or maybe they go for a one-week visit to their obstetrician, but that is totally them. And then in terms of the baby, well, if they make an appointment to go to their private pediatrician, maybe they'll have a visit. If it's the health center, which is where the majority of our women give birth is in the public healthcare system, then nobody sees that baby again until six weeks, right? So everything can happen there. You know, breast, there's no very little breastfeeding support. They are trying to be, the Ministry of Health has mandated all of the hospitals to become baby friendly. So they are putting in place um, like little support groups or referrals and where they can get some breastfeeding support. But it really is an area where I feel the woman and the baby really need a lot of support in that immediate postpartum period and it's not generally happening right yeah so in terms so i really an area that's lacking and then in terms of the um the the cultural things um not happening as much as it did before either but still quite a bit, um, particularly in the African with their traditions and in the East Indian with their traditions. I think it is still happening because um, mothers and grandmothers get involved and they do what they're familiar with, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, and, and as I say that, I want to also say that I find generally families as well our whole society has kind of shifted and sometimes families are split up we just had somebody that gave birth all of all of her family have migrated she's the only one here so she doesn't have immediate family or it's um 
the the father is from Trinidad, mother is not, so her family is not here. Mm-hmm. So she only has his family, which you know maybe mm-hmm. doesn't feel quite the same as her family. Right. Yeah. So for several reasons, I feel as I feel as if as a society we don't have local family support as much. We still have it to an extent, but not as much as we did many years ago. You know, yeah. but in the situations where they do, um, then. Yes, in in the African culture, it's where you have to do um, a steam, like a, a vaginal steam over hog plum bush. Um, within a couple of days, you have to take castor oil on, I think it's day six or, or something. Internal, um, internally? House, you know, yeah, you, you'd actually drink the castor oil. On day six, so the cleansing or yes, some some people say day six, some say nine. So somewhere between day six and day nine. And what it's supposed to do is clean out all of the old blood. Okay. Whatever that means. (laughs) (laughs) So the so it is like a cleanse. Um, you know, recently I had a client and she said, I just can't imagine. My my mom told me that I have to take this castor oil. She said, but I just can't imagine. I'm bleeding, and she didn't even have stitches. She's like, I'm bleeding. I'm gonna be, you know, having griping. I have to be going to the toilet. She said, I just can't even imagine having to cope with that. Can I tell her that you said I, I shouldn't take it? Um, so I said, well, you could tell her whatever pleases uh-huh. you. But if you don't want to take it, I don't think you should take it. You know? Yeah. Um, so she didn't, right? But the interesting thing is, then a couple of days later, she says to me. Um, I'm still bleeding. I think it's because I didn't take the castor oil. So it's been in her head, right? (laughs) So I said, well, no. And it's very light bleeding. So I said, well, that's normal. You know, however, if you think you'd like to take the castor oil, then go right ahead. Because generally, I want to respect people's traditions. Yeah. Um, And when when they ask me what I think, I'll say, I don't think it's necessary. However, if, you know, your family believes that it is and you're comfortable with that, then go right ahead, you know, because it's not dangerous. Um, I think not necessary, but not dangerous. Mm -hmm. That same client, um, she just before she gave birth, she went, she ran into the shower and all of this. And afterwards she said, oh, because that's the last shower I can have until after the next day. So she's not allowed to bathe. She just has to like use a, you know, oh, a washcloth okay. or something. So, yeah. so she can't bathe and the baby can't bathe for nine for, days, right? Because their doors are open. Nine okay. days, yeah. But also I wonder if that uh, is good for the... Um, like bacterial flora for the the baby's gut like just to, um if you don't bathe i guess like the vaginal canal potentially like i don't know maybe that doesn't make sense but <laughs> yeah yeah no i, I mean and the thing I, is that's why i want to respect those traditions because i think somewhere in there <laughs> there's a reason we don't understand it you know um but also what I'll tell them is that I think a little bit of it was that many, many years ago, perhaps people didn't have running hot water. Okay. And yeah. so 
having a, a bath after you've given the baby with cold, given birth with cold water or something, you know, may not be comfortable or so I think it's sort of linked, but I never disregard traditions because as I said, many of them, I think somewhere in there is yeah. a very, is very good thinking, but I just, I'm, I don't know. We've lost that. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that makes sense with not doing it with cold water because you don't want like after um, you have a baby, you're, in, you're at least in Ayurvedic or Indian culture, yes. you're in a cold or yeah, you're in a cold state. So you want to make sure everything's warm, warm, nourishing warm. foods, warm blankets, you know, warm. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. So that's why I think, you know, so sometimes I'll tell people, well, it's because, you know, I think it came about as because there was no hot water and all that. So if you feel that you want to bathe, I think it's fine. And if you don't, that's fine. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the castor oil, the, the not bathing, um, the baby. Nobody must come into the house after 6 p.m. Um, once the baby is home because then they bring night dew in which I guess is you know I guess the dampness of it starting to get cold the cold again um and so they shouldn't come in to visit the baby and the baby shouldn't go out um Mm -hmm. and and then the the one that I do have a little bit of a concern about because I've seen it um cause harm is where they do a steam where they put the leaves from a hog the tree is called a hog plum a hog plum tree so they put the leaves in there there's also other trees that they use but that's the primary one and they put it in really hot water and then the woman stoops over it she squats over it and again that's supposed to you know just help to clean out the birth canal yeah right um and the reason i am that I say, tell them to please be careful and only do it if the person really knows what they're doing is because I've seen it done where it's too hot mm-hmm. and the woman has actually gotten burnt uh-huh. and came in and couldn't even close her legs because the whole area was really swollen and, you know, oh. it, it, I mean, it, it healed well eventually, but it was just too hot. Yeah. So the steam burnt her. So I'll just say to them to be careful full and make sure the person doing it knows what they're doing yeah um, but again I don't discuss but those are the primary cultures and, and um, the primary thing sorry in the African culture um, I think in both cultures we have this thing of um, putting on a belly band oh okay yeah. which you know right after um, again there's probably some validity in that but the thinking behind it now is that it makes your stomach go back flatter faster or something you know mm-hmm. but there may be some validity in giving the organs and and the abdomen support support mm-hmm. um, however I, I ask them not to wear it all the time because I think, and this is just my personal thing, I believe if people wear it all the time, then they don't use their, their muscles. They don't use their abdominals, you know, because yeah. they have this support, right? Yep. Um, 
all the time because then they you don't then tighten your core and I think you have to work on getting your core back even if it's unconsciously so if you're going to move you tighten you know it's a it's mm-hmm. a normal response but you're not going to do that if you have this band this really tight band all on all the time yeah I told I agree I um I wore after my first pregnancy, I wore this like really tight corset. I was young and somebody recommended it to me. Uh, it was the worst thing I did. It was really bad for me. I feel like in terms of my strength of my core, it it's still not I, I feel like that after I did that, like it really compromised the strength of my core. And also, mm. also the space that my organs had to just go back in place properly. Like, I feel like it squeezed in too much. And um, anyways, right. so I, I agree. But right. what is, do you know what the, the fat or what kind of fabric or if it has a special name or if it's a certain type of, of material that they use for the belly bind? I think it's just cotton. Mm-hmm. It's just cotton, cotton fabric that they'll use. And then... The more mod- modern version is like a, um, a support underwear. So like like you said, like a corset, mm-hmm. like a girdle type of thing. I think um, some people, the ease, have progressed to that. But traditionally, it's, fa- it's a cotton fabric that is just wrapped around. Okay. Um, and it, it does it... I know there's in different cultures, they have different kinds of fabrics and they have names like Faha and whatever. And they're all, you know, colorful or, you know, it might be in the African tradition, they might have specific, like, I don't know, cloths, whether it be. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, I I don't know. I think here what they use is mostly a brown cotton fabric, which is just a, it's like an unbleached cotton fabric, but that just because it's the cheapest and it's cotton. Mm-hmm. I don't, I where, don't know. Of a where, could, where could they get that? Is that just something that they... Any other fabric stores have. Any fabric Yeah, yeah. any other fabric. Mm-hmm. For recently, that same person with the casserole, she had um, almost like a, a band, you know, like a band from a dress or something. And so it wasn't as wide as what I've been familiar with before. It was just a, a very narrow piece of fabric Mm -hmm. that was really wrapped tightly around her lower abdomen um, to to support it. So when I saw her for her one week visit, um, she said, do you want me to take this off? And I said, absolutely not. It's not going to interfere with what I'm checking for. Um, She said, but it's so tight. I really want to take it off. And her mom had told her, well, it was her mother-in-law that was the person. She said, mother-in-law had told her at that point it was okay to take it off if she wanted to Hmm. but it's like she waited until she came here you know and then I suppose she'll say she took it off for the exam or something so there is that conflict of um, the younger generation not maybe not fully buying into it but um, she's in the household with her and she has a lot of respect for her Mm -hmm. and so she's doing it so what I usually tell them as I is that if it's not harmful and, and it's necessary to keep the peace, then just do it. The lower abdomen, what's really interesting is wrapping that thinner fabric really tight on the lower abdomen is I know something that they do um, 
in Mexico and they use a, a thinner, more sturdy fabric called a faja. And that's actually supposed to help with your hips and your sacrum and supporting your hips to come back together. So it sounds like that's what the, the thinking behind it is, as opposed to wrapping the organs and the belly, it's more right. about the, the bones. Yeah. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And I know because we had a midwife that was with us at one point who had done some training in Mexico where uh -huh. she does um, the postpartum wrap, but, but that she doesn't do that, I think, until after six weeks. Right. Is it called closing of the bones? That's closing. It. Yes. Yes. Closing of the bones. Yeah. Right. But there's nothing in Trinidad that you know of that is similar to that. Is there? <laughs> no, there okay. in the East Indian culture, there is, um, you do go to, they don't call it closing of the bones, but you go to rub up to rub your uterus back into place. So it's like an abdominal massage, kind of uh -huh. um, lower back pelvis sort of thing, um, which I think is probably the same principle, but it's yeah. not called, you know, it's called, they just say she's going to rub up her uterus or something like similar. And that's in the East Indian culture. Right. And um, I, I was doing some research and I found one research paper by this man in Florida, I guess. I mean, he's Trinidadian, but he studied in Florida and he did it on postpartum traditions. And it was back in the day. I can't remember exactly when, but it was a while ago. And he was talking about in the East Indian community, how they do have the masseuse. And mm -hmm. I guess there was a traditional name for that. I forgot what that name was, but um, their main purpose of supporting the mother was, yeah, to massage and rub up and whatever the, the woman. Yes. And I know that in India, they have, you know, the 42 days, the sacred window, and they do the Abhyanga massage every single day, which is the hot oil massage or the warm oil massage every single day. Do you know of anybody who in Trinidad who gets rubbed up every single day for 40 days? Or is it just a one time <laughs> thing? <laughs> no, I think it's just a one time thing. And they do, um, they do the baby and the mom. Oh, okay. And is right, that but, the, but the, the baby is a head to toe. It's a head to toe oil massage that they do. Um, they do very, very thoroughly at some point. I'm not sure when. And then some families will sort of massage the baby with oil every day, but that's you know, after a bath or something, they oil mm. them down from head to toe. But as the baby, but the mom, I don't think I've never heard of it daily. Um, it's just as far as well, there's one client in particular that was really very committed to it. Um, it was one pretty soon after the birth and one later on. Okay, one after birth and then another. Yeah, generally, I only know of them doing it once. Um, and it's usually like after the six week visit, but right. you know, I, th I also think a lot of those things are because you had, 
traditionally long ago, there was this period after you gave birth where everyone really took care of you and you did nothing and you kind mm-hmm. of stayed in bed and rested and you were fed and and maybe massaged and all that mm-hmm. and I think we've lost that um and I, I mean I don't I'm not saying that it's necessary to be massaged every day and all that but I absolutely think it's necessary to be cared for yeah um for a period after and and I think and we don't have that a lot and Um, I really spend a lot of time with our clients talking to them about figuring out how to get help Mm -hmm. for that period Um, because too many times they feel like they can bounce back yeah and maybe they can but I think it takes a toll and it's Mm -hmm. at a cost you know and it's really important to have that period after to just be able to be in bed and get your milk flow established and recover from the pregnancy and the labor and the birth and eat well and sleep when the baby's asleep because the baby's up in the night and you know that sort of thing and I I feel like we've lost that sort of sacred period in the postpartum that maybe a lot of those things fed into. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And so where do people get their support? Is it, do they hire help? Are they able to, you know, do they have to go back to work after three months? I'm sure a lot of them do. Um, So, so what is it like, like, do they just have their extended family that does help? Um, Most times, but you know, it's also often something that we really have to talk about and stress um, because if we, if you just say, um, so have you thought about, you know, postpartum and the fact that you have to rest and yeah, 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 we have, we have help. Um, my mom will help it. I said, no, but you need to be very clear about what that help looks like because yeah. some people think help is coming to help with the baby, Yeah, but you don't exactly. need help with the baby, the baby sleeps uh-huh. and eats, right? You need help with food and laundry and cleaning. Yeah. Right. So we really go through in detail what the help should look like. And then we ask them to identify a couple of people that can um, that they can be confident will help. So your mom coming over to hold the baby and and bathe the baby. No, that's not help. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, and I tell them the most important thing is food because the laundry can wait for a day and the cleaning maybe could wait for a day all those things maybe could wait for the but the food has to be regular good food on time Hmm. you know so we put focus on the food and having people in place um who will commit to bringing food or you know or or if people feel like there's nobody they can ask then we suggest that they cook and freeze food Mm -hmm. right so all they have to do is heat up but most people can identify I mean and with most people it's a family member but sometimes it is people from the church Mm -hmm. that they belong to Um, one person that was a neighbor Um, some people do hire help so they have paid help Um, some people will make arrangements for a caterer to cook and drop food every day so it varies but I would say yeah. by far the by far the majority is relatives and friends mm-hmm. and so 
in really and oh well i just really quickly going back to the massage thing for a second what type of mm -hmm. oil what type of oil do they use do you know is it a specific it's, mo uh -huh. it's mostly freshly made coconut oil okay nice and so that's that's a part of the ritual where you find somebody who still makes coconut oil because that's not as common as it yeah. used to be yeah so so they'll find somebody you know relative or somebody out in the rural area who still makes it and they'll get some and that's like a big thing for the babe for them to get that you know for for pregnant well yeah. postpartum right and Does that's used for the baby and for the mom yeah and the in the african culture do they also have like a massage with coconut oil or not that you know of no not that i know of really okay all right, and then, um, oh yeah, so so with food, that's another very important um, subject for postpartum moms. What types of food do people generally eat? Are there specific types of food that that are cooked for the mother for and for the for health and um, helping to nourish and restore her, or is it? Um, like, I don't know, what are the thoughts around food? Is there any specific traditions of what types of food that the mothers can get? Um, no, the only one that I know of is um, in the Eastern Indian community where they, you, they give you milk with um, turmeric. Uh-huh, golden milk, okay. Yes, that's the only food that I know of that's specific. Other than that, no, they, there isn't anything in particular that I'm aware of. I mean, okay. a lot of people will say they'll make soups, you know, nourishing soups, but I can't say that that is a tradition. I think it's just that they think of it as something that's easy to digest, yeah. and, you know? Yeah. Okay. And do you have um, any recipes that you you recommend for postmodern mothers um, or that, uh. yeah? No, not 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 really. I just tell them that it it should be balanced meals and regular meals, not you know any fast food and junk food. And um, generally, we try to we advise them to monitor their dairy intake um, because we've found a lot of babies have dairy allergies. Mm -hmm. um, if they do excess, you know, if it's in moderation, usually it's okay, but, you know, excess will be like they have cereal, milk, and then they have a cheese sandwich, and then they have um, baked macaroni with cheese. And then, so sometimes the diet just has such a lot of dairy in it that it's too much for the baby's yeah. gut. Um and the babies get really gassy. So we'll tell them just to watch that. But I, I don't tell them to stop it. I tell them, be aware of it. And if there's a day that the baby's really gassy, then think back to what they ate. And eventually they will see the pattern mm -hmm. of what's affecting the babies. But I do warn them about the dairy because we just, I don't know, some as a culture, I think we just eat a lot of cheese, eggs yeah. and milk and... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. But traditionally in the food, there isn't that much of it. If you think about like no. traditional foods, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, not, not that I'm aware of at all. Maybe we did, but 
um, I don't know of it at all. And and we have women who absolutely don't want anything cold and who to drink because we'll offer them, you know, at least a drink um, right after until they feel like they can have something to eat. And um, and some people don't want anything cold, and some only want cold. So uh, it, mm -hmm. it really okay. varies. Yeah, because yeah. I know in some like in the in our Chinese community, because we uh -huh. have a, yeah in the Chinese community, they will only have warm foods. Right. Okay. Yeah, they will not have anything else but warm foods. But that's I don't see that in in the other cultures as a rule. Okay, so um, next question is let me see what's it. okay do you, you know, have that uh-huh yeah sorry there's one that you know when we talked about the belly wrap there's also they also do a belly wrap for the baby i don't know do you want to know about things that they do for the baby oh sh sure yeah that's interesting so, i never heard of yeah. it yeah so mm -hmm. there's also a strip of fabric um they call it a belly band that they put they put around the baby's abdomen and the thinking is that it makes sure that their um navel goes in and that they so they have an innie not an outie okay <laughs> yeah. and some of them this actually that same castor oil person uh -huh. she said her mother-in-law does it where she puts a coin Mm -hmm. um, like wraps a coin somehow and then ties the coin on top of the the navel um, to make sure that it you know it goes in. Hmm. The sacred window is an idea that we can all find ourselves in need of during times of our lives where we are tender in need of extra care and transforming our understanding of self. The concepts of care we give to new parents can be applied to ourselves in honor of ourselves to build resilience and grace in how we navigate this life. Just this is more of a general question, I guess, but is there any, you know, you kind of already talked on it, but I'm saying, I'm just saying, is there anything else you want to add about in terms of specific advice that you would give mothers regarding the postpartum period? I know you already um, talked about a lot of things, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, most of my time is spent um, on making sure that they understand that they really need to rest mm -hmm. and take care of themselves. So usually what I tell them is they come back to see us in a week. So I said until I'll tell them until they come back in, in one week that I don't want them doing anything else but caring for themselves and caring for the baby mm -hmm. and the rest of the time i want them off their feet preferably lying down but at the very least lounging because i think it's really important for that it's like a, a bonding period and you know that breastfeeding adjustment when the baby feels it feels just feels like the baby's feeding all the time and you're mm -hmm. up a lot and I just, I feel like you really need that week to start your recovery well. Mm -hmm. um, and then maybe you can add a little bit more. And I'll try to get them to do that for a longer period. But I really, really push it for that first week. Right. Um, and then I'll tell the dad that 
I don't want him doing everything because I want him to get into bed with them too. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the I want him. Yes. I want him to be with them and get to know his baby too and all of that. So that's when I'll say, can you arrange for food? So that the most he has to do is maybe make breakfast or something, which is a quick thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I really try to stress how important that period is for all of them to be together, bonding and resting and not, you know, being busy doing other things. So I ask him about, will he be able to take time off? And, you know, how will he plan that? And then I'll jokingly say, can you cook? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in the Caribbean culture, about two thirds will say no. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, and, and one third will say, or maybe a little bit more than that. But a lot oh, of them, okay. <laughs> a lot of the men cannot cook. A lot of males cannot cook in the Caribbean. Well, definitely not as good as the women. That's for sure. I, I, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so if they say, yes, I can cook. I say, well, that's great. However, I don't want you cooking, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> And if they say, no, I can't cook, I say, great. So let's great. get food, <laughs> you know. More time so, with the baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's really what I spend a lot of time on. And of course, with the breastfeeding. But I try to make them really understand the importance of that initial postpartum period. Yeah. Um, and the rest and eating well and drinking lots of fluids and, you know, all those types of things we spend a lot of time with because people, right. people just really think that you can get up and move along like you did before. And we have, well, as you said, we only have a three month maternity leave policy so that is one of the great things that COVID has done mm-hmm. um, because a lot of women are working from home. And because they're working from home, they're home with their babies, even Mm -hmm. though they're working, you know, so it's been great. I find people have been able to breastfeed longer without because a lot of them, when they they go back to work, you know, pumping and storing is a commitment. Mm -hmm. And so many people, once they go back out to work, they'll go to mixed feeding. So they breastfeed when they're at home and then they give formula when they're at work and they're not at home. But now because they're home, they're able to just continue the exclusive breastfeeding, which I think is a great thing. So COVID, you know, has had some positives. For sure. And with the rest, I know, at least in the States, when you talk to women, it's really hard to get them to understand that fact, especially in our capitalist society where it's like, go, 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 be productive. And so I assume that it's similar in Trinidad, but probably not as hard as in the States. But how do you get women who might be a little bit um, hard to convince with that? Uh, like, how, what do you tell them to get them to understand the importance of it? Is there anything you just or do they um, do they just listen to you because you're the midwife? <laughs> probably. Well, you know, well, the nature of the clientele that we would attract, you know, yeah. is people that are more likely to listen but for sure we have some typeys and so i'll tell them that um i'll use stories i mean actual stories and i'll tell them that people have ended up back in the hospital 
because mm-hmm. they they did too much and that they could start bleeding heavily again that they could get infections that it could affect their milk supply like i'll i'll borderline give them little scare scare stories but <laughs> well it's but true though yeah yes but it's true stories you know i'm not gonna tell them well you might drop down and die i don't yeah. want to scare them that <laughs> but i want it to be real Um, because I really want them to understand. I mean, there was one um, one person not too long ago and she was like, no, no, it's okay. I'll be able to, I'll tell them, you know, like I'll just respond to emails. And I, and I said, no, like you absolutely cannot do that. I said, okay, fine. You know what? If you end up in the hospital, then they will have to figure out how to work without you. I said, so is that what you're looking for? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, which was, which was really an outlier. I mean, I usually don't have to be that harsh mm-hmm. for them to get it. But she was really, I mean, she was not getting it at all. She's like, no, 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 I'm HR. I said, forgive me, but there's nothing in HR that could be such an emergency that you can't spend time with your baby for a yeah. week and not answer emails. I said, I'm really sorry. No. <laughs> yeah. You know, and um She wasn't, I mean, she cried a little bit, you know, because it was, it was not my normal thing. And I think she realized, wow, this is serious, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what, by her next visit, she had worked out a plan where she had gotten someone to cover for her. And she had agreed that she would take calls for one day after she went on leave and then no more calls until her maternity leave ended. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I was a little harsh, but it worked. It worked. It worked. Maybe she needed that, you know, so. And, and, I, and yeah. I apologized to her. I said, I'm yeah. really sorry about the way I was at your last visit. I said, but I had to get you to understand. And she said, I understand. And it's what I needed. Like you had to do that. Otherwise, I would not have listened to you. Right, right. And, you know, in um, Chinese uh, medicine or, you know, Chinese culture, they believe that the postpartum, how you rest and recover and are taken care of and nourished during your the postpartum period directly correlates with how you will um, experience menopause. So oh, really? Yeah, that is like the, a very, very important like idea from Chinese medicine that I feel like is, I mean, I, it, it makes a lot of sense. I want to know more about it, but um, yeah, it's interesting to talk to. I know that, yeah, there are Chinese, um, there is the Chinese community in Trinidad. So to see their thoughts about that, it would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. also, okay. So how about superstitions? Are there any specific supers? I'm oh, sure there's a lot of superstitions. <laughs> what, um, Are there any that you can think of that are particularly um, related to postpartum period? Um, I think most of them are in pregnancy, but postpartum, it's, um, you know, putting um, like a piece of blue or I think a garlic peg or a little bag with herbs or something and putting it on the baby um to to keep away an evil eye 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, in Christianity, it's done as well, right? Because they put on a St. Christopher medal <laughs> or uh-huh. a cross. So to me, it's just a variation of the theme. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, but the intent is all the same. But there are different things that they put on. Most often, I think it's a piece of blue, like blue, the color blue. But it's, oh, okay. you know, but but there's a, a blue, um, gosh, it's something that they use when they wash um, white clothing. Um, it's called blue. Maybe it's blue something. I don't know. But they put it in the water at the end and it brightens the white. Anyway, so that's what's used quite a lot, but I think it's just because it's blue and it's like it's like a little block of chalk. Okay. You know, and so that will go into into a thing, or there's something called asafetida. I think that's uh, an East Indian thing. East Indian, um, yeah. Right, and it it must be in a little red sack. So I think the sack has to be red. Okay. Um, and then it's pinned on the baby, and it's for protection. For, for protection from the evil eye. And um, and I think that the ritual of the oiling down, mm-hmm. sorry, 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 you asked me about superstition. So that's not the oiling down. I was going to say part of that is that, you know, you have to like pull their nose up so their nose will be nice and straight. The baby? Um, okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a massage, but it's a massage to straighten out their legs so their legs are not bent. They, they don't have get bow legs, or and okay. you pull the, you pull up the nose when you massage so they get a they don't have a flat, broad nose like a traditional oh no. Af- oh no. African face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You massage it and pull it up so it's it gets you know pointy and straight so they have a straight nose oh <laughs> and you massage the head so they have a round, nice round head. So. Mm-hmm. No, but but I tell people I said touch is nice for the baby, so that's fine. But yeah, mm-hmm. but I I don't know if that would qualify as superstition. I think the superstition is more that I think some people rather than pinning it on the baby will put um some under their the soles of their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the intent is all the same, which is some sort of protection. Right. The only other thing is what I mentioned about the the Jew and the baby not coming out of the night, coming out of the house at night mm-hmm. when, you know, like the spirits are roaming sort of thing. But yeah, th- those are the only ones I know of for the babies, really. Okay. And then... Um, what, uh, one other thing too is that they, they always, they put hats on babies all the time because the, the soft spot at the top of the head, um, they think it needs protecting so you put a cover over it so that nothing, you know, can get in. Again, sort of protection. Right. I was reading, again, in that um, one uh, paper mm-hmm. like, that I was reading online, they were saying that actually the superstition was that women were, after they, you know, had the babies, they were actually, um, was it? I don't know if it was that they were dirty or like some kind of like not very nice thing. The reason for them having to having to rest and like um, or it, it was like that they could bring in evil spirits. I can't remember. I have to look it up. But anyways, I thought that was very, um, very 
patriarchal or, or very, yes, sexist, yes. very sexist, you know what I mean? But yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I suppose it goes along with that whole philosophy about when you're menstruating, you're dirty. Yeah, it's kind of sad though, because it is good to rest. And so it's like what they're asking the mothers to do is really helpful, helpful for them, right? But it's unfortunate right. that they're putting this reason on top of it that is totally not like mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. not very nice for the mothers but you know i obviously it's not any longer that's not the belief any longer so <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah um wow. okay so are there any natural you know bush remedies for postpartum mothers i think you mentioned one of them but specifically for if there's any issues that may arise, anything that you might use actually um, for any mothers, if anything comes up, any specific plants or to maybe increase milk supply or whatever traditional herb, herb remedies you can think of. Um, the most common and still very, very popular is something called vervine, okay. um, which is used for milk production. Um, the only reason that it's not used as often as it was is because there just isn't as much of it around, you know, like it's, it's sort of, I think it might even grow wild. So some people always had it somewhere in their gardens, mm -hmm. um, but not as much anymore because all the gardens now are very manicured. Well, not all, but you know, a lot yeah. are very manicured and and so they don't have it um so you have to actually find somebody who has some in the yard but every almost everyone is very aware of of that okay um, vervine so after you have the baby you drink vervine which helps with the milk production so as a tea with warm water as a tea mm -hmm. so you steep it you steep the leaves mm -hmm. um and drink the tea and it does work it really it does work so we recommend, you know, fenugreek or fennel or something, because that you could just buy that in the store yeah. rather than sending them hunting for vervine. But if they have <laughs> access to vervine, it really, it does work. Oh, nice. Yeah, there's a lot of vervine here in um, Hawaii, like everywhere. It's just, ah, yeah. okay. Um, really works. That's awesome. And how about any spices? or any, well, you just said fenugreek and fennel, so <laughs> that's good. Yeah, for postpartum, um, postpartum, let me see. Not really, I mean, the, again, it's, a lot of it is in pregnancy, you know, you shouldn't eat a lot of pepper because then the baby will be born without eyebrows. Um, if, oh, wow. if, if, if you have a lot of heartburn, it's because the baby has a lot of hair. <laughs> so uh, most of those things are in pregnancy, but afterwards um, there is some caution about having spicy foods like curry and really peppery foods, but that's more to do with the fact that it will affect the baby through the breastfeeding. Okay. Mm -hmm. And let's see, any folk tales related to postpartum that you know of um it's okay for the answers no i just yeah, <laughs> no i know but i'm just i'm just thinking um yeah not really not any common ones anymore i mean i remember um 
a mother-in-law telling me that they would have to get newspaper and block up deck. They had to shut all light out of the house. No mm. light could even come in the house for this nine days, this nine day period. So if there was a little crack in the window, she'd have to stuff it with newspaper, you know? Wow. Okay. <laughs> yes. No light at all should come in for the nine days. Um, but again, you know, I think that was just that bonding period, but in a different language, you know? Yeah. It was like t- t- dark in bed, don't do anything. Don't bathe, don't bathe the baby. Just be in bed, we'll feed you. And all you have to do is turn over and feed the baby and wash up. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't even get so. So I think many of those things started in for, you know, and then evolved into something that isn't what it was. But no, I can't think of any um, folktales that are currently still practiced yeah. or, or but, talk, talked about. Yeah, but in, in relation to what you just said about the no light, it kind of thinks, makes me think about how the baby just came from this darkness inside of the womb for you know mm-hmm. nine months and if you think that you know the last um period of gestation is is you know when they're outside of the womb yeah it's kind of the transition period for the baby you know from the darkness into mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. kind of nice and that and that's why you know a lot of those things like that um not bathing and all that i if if we could go back to some semblance of that I think I would I wouldn't mind at all because I really have to stress so much to too many women Mm -hmm. how much they need to rest after right and how and how they need to just feed their babies and every time the baby's asleep they should lie down and I I mean I just have to stress that so much Mm -hmm. so much and then sometimes they we have occasionally somebody who really still doesn't listen and then by day three day day four she's calling me because she's crying all the time and she just she feels tired and she can't do this and the breastfeeding Mm. and then the baby's crying and it's just it starts that vicious cycle right Mm mm-hmm and it's and I just keep repeating, you know, you have to get into bed. Okay, just get into bed and do yes, but no, there's no but just do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I almost wouldn't even mind if we went back to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to that. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, yeah. Um, and so oh, and that crack in the window um superstition is that from east indian or african tradition african well actually wait one i think african i think african Um, i was just querying because i think one grandparent was east indian but i think it was from the african side okay yeah because i know you're mixed up so i wasn't sure (laughs) but well girl and trinidad and tobago yes i i know you have everything (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> yeah but i do think that was african okay <laughs> i was gonna ask about um postpartum depression do you see mm-hmm. that do you see that often i mean probably not as much with the the clients that you work with but in general in all of trinidad is that you would you say that's maybe a concerning issue that's arising with postpartum mothers or um not? i i would say 
I think it's concerning only because I'm very conscious of it, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's I don't think it's that common. Um, my concern stems from the fact that I think that um, it may not be recognized, and then even if it's seen, it's not acknowledged. It's like, but you should be happy. You just had a baby, and you should like come on, yeah. snap out of it, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's all we also have a bigger problem with any sort of mental health challenges, you know, as a society. Um, so I think that's like lumped in there. Um, but but I don't think it's a huge problem. Um, if we have a client that has any history, either of depression or postpartum depression with previous babies, then we recommend stuff. We recommend um, evening primrose oil, or we recommend that they have placenta encapsulation, or we mm-hmm. recommend that they see uh, a practitioner um, based on what they want. Because there's some people who will go to a regular doctor and figure out what medication they could take. But most of our clientele would want a more naturopathic or natural, mm-hmm. you know, solution. Yeah. So. So we we sent them to get homeopathic stuff to take after or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they don't want to do that, the easy thing is evening primrose or and or placenta encapsulation because we do have some clients who will identify a history. Um, yeah, so I think just not not recognized and then not addressed, but but not a huge problem really. Okay, yeah, and then. Also, you guys do have people who do placenta encapsulation there. Um, we we do, yeah. Doulas and or yes, we have doulas. Um, Mama Toto trained the first set of doulas. We brought um, people down from Dona, the doula organization of North America, to do the All training, right. uh-huh. and then eventually. Um, the doulas that were trained set up um, an, an alliance, doula alliance of Trinidad and Tobago, who I referred you to. So mm-hmm. they now have a separate organization and they have for, I think, two years or so, maybe they did the training on their own locally. Um, oh. But they've now gone back to using donor again, because when you use donor, it gives the the trainees the option of being certified internationally through donor uh-huh. or locally through the doula alliance so it gives them an option so um, they were supposed to do training last year somebody was supposed to come down but of course that didn't happen so the training is now on all online okay. but we and do that's... have several doulas that's for placenta encapsulation training or just the doula? Oh, no, training? sorry. Oh, doula, okay. Just the, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, the doula training. And the doulas work in most of the private hospitals. And we have two of our public hospitals that send some of their staff to be trained as doulas. And oh. um, the, the part that would be of interest to you because your focus is postpartum is we do, we did do, well, the doula lines did do postpartum doula training because we identified it as an area where people really need support that they're Mm -hmm. not getting Mm -hmm. right so they did postpartum doula training and it has been hugely popular where women will hire them to go um 
you know, just to be there for maybe two hours or so a day, just so that they know somebody's coming who could, mm-hmm. um, they're, they're, all of the doulas would have some level of breastfeeding training. Mm-hmm. So if they need some support with the breastfeeding or maybe just to confirm, yes, you're doing a great job. It's perfect. That's normal. It's okay. You know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So the postpartum doulas are quite popular. Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, but again, that is for the women who can afford it, right? Because it's at a cost. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but what the other thing I was going to say is that two of the public hospitals train some of their staff to be doulas. And the plan is eventually for them to be able to function as doulas within the hospital. They don't currently because they were nursing assistants. So they still have to work as nursing assistants because there isn't a category of staff called doulas. Mm-hmm. So they're working as nur- nursing assistants. And if they're able to, they'll be supporting a woman as a doula. So nice. they, they're, doing, they're doing both. Yeah. Well, so two of the hospitals. So that was really nice. That is because uh, that's more than what they do here in the States. That's for sure. So mm-hmm. I'm really happy to hear that. That's, I mean, now with COVID, they don't even let anybody come into the hospital. Right. Except- maybe your partner or, you know, they have one person can come in as a support, but if the, the hospital staff was trained as a doula, that would be amazing. Yeah. 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 Really cool. So, um, uh, okay. So I asked if there were any concerning trends other than postpartum depression, is there anything else that you're seeing with postpartum mothers in their like recovery or is there any positive trends that you see? So I think you just you just talked about something that was positive for sure with the training doulas, but um, mm-hmm. and also the fact that the postpartum doula um, doulas are very popular, or starting to be kind of popular. Um, mm-hmm. as, is there anything else you could think of in in postpartum mm-hmm. trends, either negative or positive things that you might be able to identify? Mm-hmm. No, I think um, our breastfeeding rates nationally have gone up since mm-hmm. the um, since the thrust towards the baby-friendly hospitals. Um, there's a little bit more emphasis on supporting the women in the hospital and giving them information. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a lapse once they're discharged from the hospital, but I feel as if there is... Um, a little bit more education and support. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when they only have the data for when they're discharged, what number are exclusively breastfeeding, and um, those numbers have gone up. So mm-hmm. I think that's you know a very positive trend. We'd have to get the hospitals to collect data for a little bit longer, like up to you know six months or something. But um, mm-hmm. but what they have so far looks good. Um, what else? I think I don't. Um, I don't think so. I mean, we have sort of we meaning like the Midwives Association and some other groups have sort of lobbied a little bit for paternity leave um, because mm-hmm. most places don't give anything. Some places will give two days or something um so but generally the dad has to apply for vacation but 
how do you plan vacation? You don't know when the baby's going to be born. So you're either yeah. off from before or, but yeah. companies are, I think, becoming more and more supportive. So I think that's a, a very positive trend mm-hmm. where the father would say, okay, the baby's due around this date. Um, and they will agree that when the baby is actually born, then they start their leave. So they'll continue to work until the baby is actually born rather than mm-hmm. being made to go off on leave. If you know, right. which I, I, a good thing, because then they're able to be home yeah. after the baby is here. Um, but it's vacation time. Um, right. You know, they're really paternity leave is very poor. Non-existent in many places and really poor in others. Yeah. And if you're not, some companies, if you're not married, if the couple is not married, then they can get the paternity leave. If wait, sorry, say that one more time. If if the couple if is not if the married. couple, if the mother and the father of the baby are not married, Mm-hmm. then the father can, cannot get paternity leave with some companies. That's really sad. Oh, no. That's it's really very sad. sad. Like, very because sad. you're not married, you, you know, they, yeah. I mean. Punish you. Like, oh, my goodness. The, it's terrible. Yeah. Oh, one more thing I want to ask. <laughs> Do yeah, you sure. train midwives in, in Trinidad? They do. They have, there are two schools currently. Um but one is post-nursing midwifery training only and Mm -hmm. the other one is post-nursing and direct entry midwifery they're both just certificate no sorry one is a a baccalaureate program so you get your bachelor's and the midwifery certificate Mm -hmm. and the other one and that's cost act Um, And then the other one, which is through the Ministry of Education, is only a certificate program. And that's run out of the two major hospitals. So one in Port of Spain and one in San Fernando. And we hope to have coming on stream in September of this year, a third program, which will also be a baccalaureate. It will be a direct entry baccalaureate. And that will be through... University of the West Indies, UE. So mm-hmm. it will, the standards will be much higher. Okay. Um, uh, for, for example, so the curriculum will really be, you know, competency based and all that. And they, they're just going to have better standards and so on because the other one that's based at the two hospitals should be closed. Up. It's really, oh, okay. I mean, they, they really don't do a good job. You know, they don't have instructors. Um, in mm-hmm. one of them, the woman who is the director of the school is not even a midwife. How can you be director and teaching midwifery when you're not even a midwife? You know, so yeah. what are you teaching? And um, do, you, do you take, uh, do you take um, uh, apprentices? <laughs> we, we, we actually do. But you know what's really sad um, about it is that we have people, we have midwifery students coming to us from all, 
all over the world, Germany, well, mostly the US, Canada, mm-hmm. but we have from as far as Germany, but our local midwifery students can only visit us um, because their program is so tight and they oh. do not have an opportunity for mm-hmm. any external experience. So all of their experience is based within the hospital system, mm-hmm. except for the three home births that they do. So yeah. they come and visit and we do sessions with them, you know, to expose them to, to, to this model. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some of them have asked, well, can they do like a short internship with us and some of their births here? And we're not approved for that. They, they're only approved for within the hospital setting mm-hmm. or the three home births. But even those three home births, it's three clients from the hospital. <laughs> You know, yeah. from within that system then that they've gotten at the health right. center or something. So it's quite sad. That's a long answer. But it's sad that we don't have, uh, we can't really have. And we have um, students come in from, they can come for as short as they like, but, but a lot of them come for like a three-month internship or so. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's important, I feel like, to, to educate the local midwives to do this yes so they're all aware of us and they do well we used to do in-person sessions where they'd come and spend time here um but as a group like the whole group would come and we show them the place and we talk to them about our model and we show them a video of a water birth because we're the only place you know that does water births we're actually the only place in the caribbean right now english-speaking caribbean that offers water births so Mm. we show them all those things we talk about our support groups because we you know that we have for dads and moms and all of that so it's all wonderful but then they don't actually get to have like i would love if they could even just experience a day with us doing visits and see how visits can be done respectfully but still efficient mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah you know mm-hmm. um, it's just such a different approach that I would love to expose them to but um but yeah. we'll see maybe with time you know I um, never give up like baby steps yeah and do you think that program at UE would be more would give the students more time to maybe do something like yes I think once they get settled because I was actually on the committee that helped to develop the curriculum Uh um and and for sure I think that they would be open to giving the students an opportunity for some sort of external internship you know yeah um but those other schools, the, you know, I, I think the other programs are focused on getting them in and out. So there's no, mm-hmm. there's no semester where they say, okay, well, this semester, you know, like the uh, those international programs have a semester for an optional international placement. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, but they don't at all here. Well, that might change. You should definitely <laughs> bring yeah. that. I, I think you should, since you're on the committee, you should just really push. For, I mean, that's if you want to do. <laughs> that's more work. Yeah. Do, but <laughs> no, he knows. He knows. The director okay. knows. He's uh-huh. like, so, so can we, our students come in? And I said, with open arms, I would welcome. Oh, them. awesome. Amazing. Okay. For that's sure. So nice. But, you know, I guess they, they'll have to work out their the curriculum because we wrote it, but then it went all these approvals and who knows what they they're going to do um, okay in terms of the electives right because because they're getting a degree you know they're going to have those electives that they're going to have to do so but we'll see but i but yes if it's going to happen that would be the program that 
would do it. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. I hope I'm going to look out for that program and see. I hope it, it comes to be. And yeah, that sounds exciting. But yeah. Yeah. So, um, Deborah, it was so nice talking with you. And thank you so much for sharing. bring something sacred to your current window of time? What do you have to offer to someone within their sacred window? We honor you for all you give and for who you are. Thank you for listening. The Sacred Window Podcast is brought to you by the Center for Sacred Window Studies. You can visit us to find out more about our online training and mentoring programs, plus resources and products for and about the Sacred Postpartum Window at www.sacredwindowstudies.com. Editing of our podcast recordings is done by Sienna Butler, and our music is written and performed by Sarah Emmett. You can hear more of Sarah's music by visiting www.sarahemmett.bandcamp.com.